Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. It's Thursday night. The Hawks had a win last night. Uh, tomorrow they play the Minnesota Timberwolves. Glenn, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, if I sound different, it's because I'm playing on a video game headset instead of my normal tabletop mic. My my kid bought me like the fancy video game headset, and uh, you know it's January. I can kind of hide under the blankets and you know do it that way. I'm sure it, it looks fancy. terrible, but let's go. No, it looks fancy. Uh, I'm impressed. My wife got me a microphone. I don't know that you've seen for Christmas. I have new toys as well. Mine is mostly because I needed to up my game with all the client meetings I have with my day job and such, but hopefully value here as well. But uh, hey, we're a couple of guys in our uh, demographic. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, toys toys should be allowed, especially when it comes to how we podcast or game or watch sports or whatever. So right there Except with Except I don't know how to use them. I will bungle them and break them. Make them. That part doesn't option. have to be said. We don't have to share that part. <laughs> <laughs> we are recording. So hopefully I won't uh, accidentally file the recording in the wrong place. It looks like I've, uh, I've got my double double backup ready to go in case something malfunctions. So that's good. Uh, what happened last night? <laughs> uh, I think the big one was Trey getting on back on track. We uh, Hopefully it sticks, but it looked uh, rough there for a while. And then the, well, it was mostly the second half of that game. Uh, he kind of got a few floaters to go down, got a few three-point shots to go down. Struggled at the free throw line a little bit, but hopefully just as the uh, the old guards would say, seeing the ball go through the basket uh, with enough frequency will kind of get him back to being the trade that we're used to seeing and that, especially in their diminished state with all the injuries, the the trade that the Hawks uh, need him to be. So I know that has to be sort of the top line takeaway from that game, apart from the win, apart from the comeback even, just Trey getting back to being Trey in that second half for me was the most important uh, part of, of that, that specific game. Yeah. He did something that I don't quite know how to put it here, but, uh, the bench was terrible last night. Let's start there. And so even though the Hawks were down 17 midway or midway early something like that it was like eight minutes left they were down like 17 in the fourth quarter but it could have been worse because the bench was kind of atrocious especially on offense and as bad as that bench was and again the bench literally scored four points all night a kong Wu on a layup basically because Detroit was blitzing slash trapping and Rondo on a 19 foot jump shot that they were gifting him. Um, so yeah, the bench scoring was really bad. And yet the bench unit with Trey young, 
the bench players and a little bit of Kevin Herter went on like a 15-4 run in the third quarter, which is pretty hard to do when your bench scores four points all night. But Trey found kind of a way to get to the free throw line uh, and, and it seemed to get him going because his, his start to the third quarter was kind of moribund. Like he was, wasn't doing much on offense and it, he was letting it affect his defense too. And when he got to the free throw line, not only did it help him on offense, but it kind of helped him on defense too. I think so. And maybe it's not an accident that he broke through when it was basically just him. I think mean, to your point, he had Herder's help, but you know, if, if we want to get back to seeing Trey like he was last year, why not throw him out there with a completely ill-equipped offensive lineup <laughs> like he was dealing with most of all last year, especially while JC was uh, suspended. So, you know, it's, it's sort of like the parallel to teaching your kid to swim by just throwing them, you know, in the water and, um, which I think is a terrible uh, parenting method to go, <laughs> to go on the record. But I mean, but he had to be, he was going to carry that offense for that stretch or they were going to get basically nothing. And that's when he kind of broke through. And that's when he started to look like the old trade that continued when the starters came back in. Uh, and, and it does make you wonder if there are moments in games going forward, if Trey is struggling and part a part of that is how much facilitating he's doing how much he's setting other guys to give them a two-minute stretch where it's him and a and a reserve lineup where he kind of just gets to do a lot of what he did last year which is just create all by himself can get him going i was curious to me like okay when these guys come back when the starters come back is he still going to have this energy and be able to kind of play at this high level um, you know, or is he going to go back to maybe struggling a little bit with sort of, you know, thinking about setting everybody else up? And he certainly kind of kept it, uh, you know, in fourth gear all the way, all the way through. So hopefully this is, you know, the end of this really rough stretch of shooting and uh, hopefully we don't see any other four point uh, performances and stuff, but, you know, good to see him come back. And I, I guess in retrospect, not shocking that maybe he broke out when it was just basically him that could produce offense for a couple minutes with a reserve unit. Is is there anything that, that Lloyd Pierce can do to give the bench a shot in the arm? Because tomorrow they're going to play a Minnesota team that's kind of shorthanded. They won't have Cat. They won't have Rubio. They won't have Hernan Gomez. So it's going to be a lot of the same players that we saw in Atlanta Monday. It's not a super deep team. You'd kind of like the Hawks to have an advantage depth-wise, but you know their team might be kind of gassed given how heavily they leaned on their starters yesterday. And you know, I'm just—is there—is there anything that you think they can do? Because I'm just perplexed. Like, I mean, if you're trying to bring back Rajon Rondo at the same time as you know, you're trying to incorporate a Kongwu and you don't have Gallinari and you don't have Bogdanovich. Uh, I guess officially Gallinari is doubtful for tomorrow, not not out, but uh, let's assume that he doesn't play. Like, wh- what do you do when the, the offense just doesn't have enough shooting? Like, Goodwin is not a good enough shooter to do anything in lineups where he's playing with Rondo, he's playing a, with a Kongwu. It's just kind of a cluster out there. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be really hard while Rondo is playing at the level he's playing at right now. He's struggling a lot. Uh, you know, his first it felt like his first three possessions uh, of the game were like all turnovers, passes at you know big man's you know ankles, and just way out of sync and right. not moving, not moving all that great. And so I, I think that this roster was kind of built for Rondo to be the person that's kind of driving the second, you know, for at least in the games he's going to play. And we, we've, I think we've known all along, he wasn't going to be a guy that plays every single game at this point, but you know, it, it, it'll depend on Hunter's availability. It'll depend on Reddish's availability. I think in terms of how much herder they can throw onto that second unit and, and such, but if they're as shorthanded as they were, I think they're going to need an incredible like four or five minute stretch at some point to put it up, up enough points. So, I mean, it, you know, it's sort of that um, conundrum that NBA coaches can find themselves in that he, he needs to ramp Rondo back up and, and Rondo being a veteran deserves to have a lot of say in what that ramp up, you know, like, you know, looks like. Right. And he needs time on the court. So, you know, I, I mean, I and it's not entirely his fault because like, you look at the way that the roster was put together. You look at some of the rotations that they had in the first 10 games of the season. And it's, you know, if you were going to have Rondo out there, like, and, and you went through your options for who would be the secondary playmaker next to him, you'd start with maybe Herder. Okay, well, it can't be Herder because Herder's starting. Well, how about Cam Reddish? Well, Cam Reddish was out, um, and he's questionable for tomorrow. You, Bogdanovich would be ideal. Well, he's he's injured. Uh, you know, Gallinari playmaking from the four. I mean, just like literally like the, the five players or something along those lines who would be the player that you would want to slot in next to Rondo. Uh, they're all unavailable, and so it's Brandon Goodwin who, you know, it, the thing that I've said about Goodwin for a long time is that you know, I have, I have fears and doubts about him just because, you know, he doesn't seem to be a particularly good finisher at the rim. And, you know, through the first 10 games of the season, it's like, hold on, he can do it. And, you know, he seems to be regressing, but, you know, the whole drive and kick thing that was working so well for him isn't going to be there when there's no one to drive and kick to because it's just a blob. It's also not going to be there when Rondo's the one initiating and Goodwin's just spotting right. up somewhere. Yep. Yeah, it's, that's true. Yeah, they're not putting yeah. the ball in his hands either. No. But you know, and, even, even as a secondary playmaker, like you, he just feels like uh, in the in the Detroit game, he he forced up three shots that you just really wouldn't want him to take. Yeah, and it's got to be hard on him to go from being on the ball when Rondo was out now to coming back and being off the ball, but that's what it looks like to be on the fringe of an NBA rotation. You get what you get. And, you know, so uh, that's how it's going to be. And he has to kind of deal with that. But for me, I want to look at his results and go, I understand, you know, I understand how hard that is. Um, But, you know, I I think the blueprint coming into the season was, if you know, I was convinced when they first signed Gallo, he was, they were going to find a way to kind of squeeze him in the starting lineup but now, by all appearances, the plan has always been, it seems, to bring him off the bench. And a Rondo Gallo pick and roll on your second unit should be plenty good. You should be able to really run that and milk that and get a lot of good uh, productivity on a second offensive unit. But they're, you know, maybe we're a week away from having those guys being, the, you know, the core producers of, on the second unit. But, uh, um, with what they have now, it's 
throw a throw a lineup out there, see if they can figure something out, and that's sometimes how the NBA goes. Well, uh, I've been negative Nelly here for the first, what is it, five minutes of the podcast. Um, maybe to flip it to the positive side, I'm not sure that it was what everybody was expecting coming into the season, but the Hawks are like, it's like Ralph Sampson and Hakeem Olajuwon out there. They're going with the Twin Towers and playing bully ball. Uh, what, do, what do you think of uh, the Hawks are getting out of John Collins and Clint Capella together? Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's been well talked about how well that's going on defense. And that is, you know, I think, to everyone, a bit unexpected. Um, just because, you know, prior to the season, Collins wasn't able to do what he's doing on the perimeter, switching onto the ball, you know, against you guys like Kevin Durant or whoever. And that's going really well. The The big question has all, you know, the big question everyone had well ahead of the season starting was on offense. And I, I think they're starting to figure it out. You know, it, it still looks a little crowded at times and their timing still seems a little off at times. But I think that even Trey is learning how to deploy each of them. You, you're seeing more communication between Capella and Collins as they're coming up the court. Capella will kind of say to Collins if they're going to run high pick and roll, hey, you go ahead. I'm going to go down and get on the baseline in the dunker spot. And so it's, you know, I think everything feels better and looks better after a win and after, you know, consecutive <laughs> wins for sure. Right. Um, but I, I think the one thing we're learning is that, you know, even if the spacing is always just a little bit snug, you know, they, they're right. capable of being dominant on the glass and, and really creating second chance points and being really tough to deal with. Um, and, you know, when, when Trey can be, you know, that attacker that he is and draw multiple defenders, that opens up rebounding lanes. And, you know, and that's been a lot of how they've made it work is even when they're not making, you know, perimeter shots, like they were the first, you know, five games of the year or whatever, you know, sometimes it's just sheer brute force on, on the glass and in, you know, defensively in the paint. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm becoming more optimistic uh, about, about, I, I mean, I was, I felt like I was one of the more optimistic people about it in general anyway, but I, I feel like they're kind of figuring it out uh, and they're kind of figuring out that, um, how to share space, but also even when it doesn't feel great, just, you know, when, especially when they have the advantage, um, you know, murder the other team on the offensive glass, you, as soon as, as soon as you saw Detroit start to try to, you know, hedge on Trey or bring a second defender on Trey, I mean, that gets the big 15 to 20 feet away from the rim and they just absolutely feasted. So, you know, uh, I think they're figuring yeah, out how to point. be problematic, you know. So it, it, it really depends on what the other team's doing defensively, but I think they're kind of finding a way to react to what the defense is doing and, and, and find those opportunities and, and make use of them. So, I, you know. Yeah, I like that point that you made about the hedging because, you know, that was something that teams tried to do so much when Trey came into the league. Uh, to some extent, whether it you know, actually helped or at least got the ball out of his hands is, you know, you just saw so many instances where the, he was getting two bodies uh, sent to him, but you know, that that's a way to punish that, you know, it, it, and as much as that helps Trey, you know, I think it hurts him in, in the, 
in the fact that you know when he's running he he, you know, he can't run a basically he can't run a pick and roll with John just because if Capella's out there um you know the the spacing gets really tricky because so often Capella is in the baseline dunker zone and it, it's just too crowded uh John doesn't have a a full path to the rim and you know, to his credit, Collins has gotten a little bit better as a passer in those short roll situations, but it's it's dicey. One of the one of the things that Lloyd Pierce actually said, and this wasn't like last night after the win, this was going back a week or so when things weren't as rosy. You know, he said that to to use Capella and Collins in tandem, one of the things that they have to do is they have to be much more deliberate, much more scripted in what they do in, with the offense. Um, you know, they started the season with Gallinari in and Capella out. And at that point, it was just plug and play. It's like, you know, do, you know, pace and space, but just kind of be impromptu and, you know, go quickly and just rely on the natural flow of things to, to get offense that way because of the spacing and that, that doesn't really work for this lineup. You have to deliberately say, be here, be here, just so that you know that those pieces aren't really getting in the way of each other. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit similar to how we talked about Goodwin going from being able to be those backup point guard when Rondo was out and that um, feeling pretty natural to him as a guy who's been a point guard for a long, long time at different levels. But with Con when Collins was playing with Gallo, you know, Gallo would – spot up at the three-point line and Collins would kind of own diving to the rim and when Capella came back Collins had to basically jump into that gallo role and Collins is more kind of popping to the perimeter where he's fine as a shooter but that's not where he's going to do his best work and Capella is diving you know to the rim um, and you know but the last few games you've seen some of Collins in the high screening role Capella in the dunker spot and some functional passes you know when when that backside of the rim is opened up when Collins is kind of attacking with the dribble um, and, and, and such. So, you know, like I said, they're just kind of, you know, figuring out kind of as we go. I don't, I don't know that that's ever going to be kind of a pairing that you close with apart from when they're just really killing the team on the, on the glass um, or if you're trying to put away a lead and that's a, a good defensive pairing that you have, but um, you know, as, as good and versatile as Trey is as a creator, that's what makes me feel like there's still a possibility for that to be productive enough uh, of, of a pairing, but just because of how um, uh, just precise trace passes are, they don't need a ton of space to get behind the defense or to get you know a step on uh, a help defender that's not able to kind of get back to the weak side, and one of them is kind of working a baseline cut or something like that. So. Uh, you know, it'll be better all around when Gallo's back and can you can kind of divide that time with the four and five and it'd be right. interesting to see how Kongwu kind of grows into that. I mean, I'm not even going to evaluate him for another month at least probably. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, it's one of those things where when you're missing a guy due to injury, sometimes you discover you're forced to discover something else that really wasn't the plan. And I think that, you know, it, the, as much as some of the losses have been hard to watch and some of the plays been ugly, I think one benefit that, that they could carry out of this period where they've been missing Gallo is that JC and Capella were forced to really try to figure this out. Where if, 
you know, if Gallo was available the whole time, if things weren't working, the coaches, staff could just throw Gallo out there and solve for X, you know, they had to really collaborate and, and figure this out. So that, that could be a really positive takeaway from, from uh, this period. And I, I, I think they've gotten better. And I, I think that um, uh, there's, there's a reason to think that they've, uh, can look at what a defense is doing and then look work together to know how they can specifically attack that as a big tandem. Yeah, and you know you mentioned injury. I think it also just helps Collins in that game last night. You could see the Detroit trying to beat up on John a little bit. Blake Griffin trying to just kind of go through him on a few plays. And him not having to be the center as often, I think, you know, has some benefit to him just in terms of health and durability uh, and what's going to be a pretty crazy season and for a team that has some semblance of playoff aspirations and, and keeping people healthy long into the regular season and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. There's a reason that Anthony Davis didn't want to play center forever and still kind of doesn't want to play center because it's but you do it in the that, finals <laughs> the finals is or, a or different game five of the finals or whatever <laughs> it started right that's a different roi for sure but but a guy like that trying to manage his body through a whole season and to try to be the most productive offensive player on the team and then to play defensively at the five that is asking so much of anybody you know and so that is where Capella helps, I think, is to take some of that defensive workload away from Collins that he'd otherwise have. Because when Collins and Gallo were playing before Capella was back, Collins was functioning as the rim protector and the in, in the backline defender and organizer, and Gallo was defending more like a four. And now with Capella back, Capella's anchoring the defense, and Collins is able to be more versatile and kind of be a help defender at the rim and things like that. But that's that has helped John with foul trouble avoidance that he was having, you know, his numbers were down the first week of the season because he was only playing like 20 to 22 minutes a game because of foul trouble. Uh, so, you know, there's so many different ways Capella helps him, even if the fit on offense is never going to be just, you know, seamless and natural. Um, but, you know, I, I have to say that what how Capella has unlocked Collins defense has just been uh, so unexpected that I'm I'm just shocked and just looking forward to kind of seeing how that go, that goes from here. Um, you know, Sunday will be a good opportunity. You have to think that Collins is going to draw Giannis, and and you know that's never a fun matchup you know for anyone. <laughs> but it, to for me, the way I watch the game, it'll be interesting to see like okay, this year's version of Collins, what will that look like right. when he's trying to contain Giannis? somehow and and i have to think it's going to be better than it was at any point in the last few years okay uh how about we switch gears you've seen i guess 14 regular season games four preseason games uh if all the hawks are magically healthy and doing something relatively comparable to what you've seen so far uh make us a starting lineup I mean, <laughs> it, it's I I think Herder goes back to the second unit um, when everybody's back. Um, I think 
Reddish probably starts. If Reddish doesn't stick in the starting lineup, it's because he got stuck offensively, I think. Um, but I, I think Hunter's emergence gives them some space to be more defensive heavy at the other wing position starting. So I think it's still Trey, Cam, Hunter, Collins, and Capella. Um, I, I It'll be interesting to see if like when if Cam does come back and replace her in the starting lineup, if Trey starts to suffer again because of lack of creation in the backcourt, do they just make that switch or give Trey more time with Herder? But I, th- I think it goes right back to being that same lineup. Because you asked the question, I'm guessing that maybe you see something differently there. So I- I'd be very interested to hear how you see that happening when everybody is is back. Um, I actually would, would do the same thing, but I... Um... I think it's an opportunity, uh, you know, after the first Brooklyn game, Kevin Durant said something like, well, the, the Hawks really have like seven or eight starters. And I, right. it's probably a good thing to just kind of split the, split the honors or split the motivation. And I, I kind of like the idea of Cam starting, but not finishing. Um, I'd rather have Kevin Herter finishing games, but I'm I'm okay with Cam starting with that lineup and you know it's going to be interesting to me how they they figure out how they want to finish with bigs is it situation dependent do they want to you know do something differently just cuz I mean I think my guess is that you know going into the season they would have envisioned some lineups with Gallinari and Collins finishing together up front but you know, Capella's been pretty good. And if you use Herder in a finishing lineup, I think that would make it a little bit easier to do something like uh, Collins and Capella up front. I think if if, if Cam is finishing games, it, it's going to make it harder to finish with Collins and Capella together. And in, in that situation, you'd probably want to do Gallin- a healthy Gallinari instead. Yeah, I... I think one of the strengths in the way that the roster was constructed coming this season was there's a lot of different ways to close. And I think what's changed the most and how I see that from before the season starts now is that Capella has been much more effective and had a much more impactful presence than I thought he would by this point and maybe at any point in the season, you know. Um, and so he he seems like a more viable closing option. I, I thought we'd see a lot of uh, Gallo and Collins, you know, closing at the four and five together and then kind of mix and match, you know, your wings, however that makes sense. But, you know, what's nice with it, if everyone's back is if the other team just can't deal with you playing five out basketball and offense, you close with Collins and Gallo. If a team just can't keep you off the glass, you close with Collins and Capella. If you have a lead and you just want to prioritize your defense, you close with Capella, presumably Collins in that situation, and you can roll Cam out there maybe instead of Herder in the closing line if you're up, right. say, 12 points with four minutes to go. So I would I would hope it is kind of situation-specific. Um, when you need to generate more fa- more offense more quickly and kind of shorten your offensive possessions, having that secondary creator that Herder is is going to help you do that for sure. So I I like the configurable closing lineups um, as something that is kind of the best version of what they can do if everybody's kind of 
I don't, I don't want to say clicking, but everyone's kind of giving you some baseline of what you'd expect from them, you know. Um, and then, you know, I think as the season progresses, the other thing I think about is how much might they start to try to ride Hunter as a second unit offensive, you know, guy that can maybe carry that offensive second unit. Um, it, maybe that's too much to throw at him right now. Maybe that's too much to throw at him at all this year. Um, but, you know, if Gallo's going to be more of a kind of a game-to-game availability question throughout the season with this compressed schedule, you know, you know, do you ride Hunter a little bit more in the second unit and then pair up Trey and Herder more? So I think that's the strength of the way that the roster is put together to me is all the different ways you can configure a lineup to close to attack the uh, opposing team's uh, weakness. You know, like for for the game tomorrow, um, you're going to see a lot of uh, Jared Vanderbilt again, who is kind of making a name for himself as a defender, but he's just not a very big guy. And so he's not he's not going to help the Wolves kind of be able to rebound the ball well enough. Maybe you throw a, just a ton of Capella Collins uh, at Minnesota in that game, for example. You turn around in Sunday and you're dealing with Brooke Lopez <laughs> and Giannis, you know, both of who will, you know, be effective on her. Not Giannis as a shooter, but attacking with a dribble from the perimeter and, and Brooke Lopez spotting up. That's where you might, you know, say, hey, I'm going to throw a lot of Gallo on Brooke Lopez if he was available. Then so that that configurable closing lineup thing I think is a strength, and and with Lloyd Pierce in his third year, something I was just interested and thought was fascinating to watch how he handles that from game to game. But long answer to your <laughs> your question there, but I I like the mixing and matching possibility that the roster when healthy offers. For sure, um, it'll be interesting with that Bucks game just because, you know. Bogdanovich and Dunn are obviously out. They're not on the trip, but Gallinari is getting close. Historically, you know, Lloyd Pierce has said that when they bring somebody back is, you know, kind of the phases that they go through, you know, you're, can you go through practice? Um, can you, you play five on five with the coaches? And then kind of the latter step is, can you play five on five, you know, with other players? And um, Gallinari did four on four today with with, with players, um, and didn't sound like they had their typical number of bodies. Uh, I think he called it four on four uh, because they were given a bunch of guys essentially an, uh, as much of an off day as you can have when you actually do have some sort of practice, but. You know, the, the, the main guys did next to nothing today, and but you know the four on four live action served a purpose, and it's something that's typical when players are returning to action, and I think it's a sign that uh, Gallinari's right there around the corner. Yeah, I would think that they think they should win the game against the Wolves without Towns, without Rubio, and just um, you know as unstable as the Wolves have been in that. Uh, shorthanded kind of version of themselves without Gallo, but that they would very likely could use Gallo against you know the Bucks on Sunday. So that's that's sort of what I expect. It doesn't surprise me they were four and four because of how many minutes the starters played in the overtime game versus Detroit um, on Wednesday. Um, but just I mean, just a good sign that he's coming back. Was they 
you know, this week aside, even if he doesn't play in any of the games this week, they have a really tough stretch of schedule coming up and they'll need to be able to generate uh, a lot of points to keep up with the, <laughs> keep up with the opponent and a lot of these matchups that are right around the corner. Is there uh, anything else you want to add here before we wrap up? No, I mean, the other thing we'd hit on, and I, I think this briefly is just, it's uh, hopefully Hunter's uh, good to go because uh, he's been, you know, one of the more fun storylines of the season so so far the for the Hawks. And just to see, you know, how much of this sticks versus how much of it is just a good hot start will be interesting to see. Um, I've been high on him since the time they drafted him. Uh not, not in that I predicted like, you know, multiple all-star teams in, in his career or what I didn't think that was a crazy thing to think about, but um, yeah, I just thought he wasn't really kind of given credit for what his potential is and especially married with his work ethic and just how smart of a player he is. So, um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Hunter, Hunter continue his season, uh, even if we all know that the season's going to go basically as Trey goes, so. So it doesn't feel like we don't talk. Hunter is just so understated that I think he has this, um, we'll have these amazing games or this amazing stretch and we still don't talk about it for some reason. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. He's, he's, he's something else. Uh, the kind of uh, bedrock that you build a, a good team on, even though he's not the centerpiece. Yeah. He's a really good, you know, on a very good team. He looks like he's, on a trajectory to be a really, really good, like third piece on a really good team on a good team, maybe, maybe a second piece. Right. But he, he's, that's a great outcome for him for, uh, you know, what he was when he came to the team and such. So. Right. And, you know, second, second piece is relative in that, you know, that's not necessarily a second piece in terms of the number of shots, but just, you know, somebody like, that's, this is a bad comparison, but you know somebody like Sean Mary Marion, who was just fundamental to the success of a team, like just somebody that once they got it going in their career, they just weren't going to be in a lot of bad teams because they're just good at basketball. <laughs> and a little <laughs> kind of like, like that, like kind of like Paul Millsap was, just you know, yeah, just he shows up and the team just has a level of credibility and steadiness and i don't want to put that on hunter in year two i mean yeah. it took Millsap like what five years or so to really kind right. of get there but that's that's the kind of player it feels like he's kind of forming into being yeah and like solomon hill said the other day you know he still hasn't played 82 games so <laughs> still a rookie he's, he's still a rookie <laughs> there you go i can um, never argue with solo <laughs> no 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 he's he's a good uh team philosopher well uh Thank you, Glenn. Uh, look forward to the game tomorrow night, and uh, we'll have to do this again soon. I look forward to the game, too. I'll be writing about it uh, afterward. So look for uh, my follow-up to come uh, sometime on Saturday morning, uh, Eastern Coast time. So I'll be up late writing about it, but uh, I Brad just played a fun game. the West games, huh? That guy. I'm on the West Coast, so I raise my hand uh, and you know try to take one on the weekend. So I'm, I'm up uh, tomorrow night. Uh, and hoping for a good, exciting, interesting game to write about. But uh, either way, you can look for my follow-up on Saturday morning at Peace Hoops. All right. Well, thank you, Glenn. Have a good one. Thanks for having me, Kevin.